All right, starting in verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who reaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors, debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to, sit to, the, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry, cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with his blood, with blood, and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor, labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooding thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. For, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. Father, it is you who are maker of heaven and earth. You are in your temple and you are sovereign over all of creation. The wind and the waves obey you. The stars and moon follow the courses that you have given them. Father, the earth obeys your commands. You control kings and parliaments, presidents and monarchs. Father, you are in control of all things. And even that, though you are high and lofty, you know our name. You are intimately involved in the details of creation, so much so you know the words before we speak them. You know the hairs on our head. You know all the days of your, our lives because they are written in your book. You are sovereign over heaven and earth, and you are sovereign over our lives. But we confess we still try to be sovereign over our own lives. And we try to do what we want to happen, and we disregard your laws and your ways, Father. We live not for your glory and for your kingdom, but for our own kingdoms made of sand that will fall when the tide rise and the tide falls. Father, we also confess, though we wander, though we struggle with our own selfish pride, you are our only hope in life and death. You are our only well of living waters. You are our only source of bread that satisfies our souls. 
Father, and we thank you that you are a God that says, do not be afraid because we are rightfully afraid. Like the prophet Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Isaiah, the prophet himself, knew he was not worthy to stand in the presence of God Almighty, who is holy, 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 who is worshipped by angels and he fell on his face. What would we as ordinary people do? But Father, even though you are a God who is holy and righteous and the whole earth is full of your glory, Father, you are a God who is gracious and merciful. Father, you forgive our sins. You are faithful and just. You are a good Father who um, sees his children and runs to them. Father, I thank you. We thank you that you did not leave us in our despair of our own doing in the tangled web we have woven and now have been entangled and trapped ourselves, but you stepped out of darkness. You came to us because of your great love and you have died in our place to take our punishment. You take the, the consequences of sin in Christ upon yourself and then you have given us through Christ the righteousness by which we can stand in your glory and be welcomed into your presence where you desire your people. Father, we are awe and amazed by that. And Father, I pray as we open up your word this morning, as we see the ugliness of pride and the, and the tentacles of sin that wrap around our world, our bodies, our societies, our environment. Lord, we recognize it is our doing, but we also realize it is you who will make all things new. You are making all things new. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to love you in your word, to go forth from here full of your spirit, ready to rejoice and proclaim the good news of great joy, which is for all people. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We are back in Habakkuk after a brief uh, recess, and uh, as we come back, we have the first two sermons that we already done in Habakkuk. We took two weeks off, and then we have uh, this week where we finish up chapter two, and next week where we look at chapter three, the great conclusion, probably the last few verses of Habakkuk, the greatest confession of faith in Scripture that would has long-term rippling effects throughout God's people. And I just want to review, for those of you who may not have been here, or for it's been a little while, I had to review myself. And I, if I'm preaching the sermons and have to review, I can imagine that you sleeping through the sermons would have to review as well. That's a joke. Um, you know who you are. No, just joking. The first, uh, the way Habakkuk is, chapter 1, it's broken up into uh, two complaints. One and a little bit in, in chapter 2. 
Habakkuk looks at the world around him and says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And he cries out, how long, O Lord, are you going to do nothing while all of creation struggles and groans under the difficulty of sin? There's violence and there's injustice and he says how long will you not save your people and God answers in chapter 1 verse 5 and says to him though you may not understand and though you may not perceive and though you may not be able to connect the pieces in verse 5 he says I am doing a work in your day that if I told you what I'm doing you wouldn't believe me And Habakkuk said, okay, and then he realized, uh, God said, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, we would come to know them, and the Babylonians are going to come into the city of David, into Jerusalem, and they're going to wipe the people out and drag them into captivity. And uh, Habakkuk's second complaint is this, I don't like that. That's not the answer I'm looking for. As a bitter answer, I don't like it. You were supposed to ride in here the way I wanted you to do it and and fix everything. And now you're using this unjust people to come in. How could you do that? Uh, Use a people that is even more wicked than these people in this city. And God's answer was in chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. When we don't understand what God is doing, when we particularly don't even like what God is doing, we know that he is doing something that's bigger than our minds can understand, and the righteous will live by faith. Trusting in a God who knows what he's doing, he's not a novice. But if we looked at that two weeks ago, three weeks ago, if the righteous live by faith, How do the unrighteous live by? Well, the answer is the the unrighteous, the wicked, live by pride. Pride that shakes their puny little fist at heaven and says, I don't like what you're doing. You're asleep on the job. You're not getting this right. Now, I want to also clarify, because I've heard conversations and people say, when when the word pride comes up, people say, well, you're not supposed to have pride. And I'm I'm like, yes, but let me tell you what pride is not, and let me tell you what God is dealing with in chapter 2. Pride is not, I'm proud of my son because he graduated from med school, or I'm proud of my daughter because she graduated from uh, from, uh, uh, law school. That's joy, to be able to say, I am just proud of his or her accomplishment, and and that's just great joy. I'm getting joy to see what my children are doing. That's one. I'm proud of my work today. That's not uh, sin. That's satisfaction. That's recognizing that work is a gift, and we get satisfaction from being able to step back from a job well done and say, yeah, that looks good. That looks beautiful. I created that. That's satisfaction. That's the way it's supposed to be. And there's also, I'm proud of my country. That's love. That's honor. That's, that's a good thing. Now, all of those things can become pride when it says, my son just graduated from, uh, from med school or my daughter from law school, and they're better than your son. That's where it crosses over into bad pride. Uh, But what is pride that we're going to be dealing with? And it's if the righteous live by faith, the wicked live by pride. 
Pride is this. It is self-love, self-focus, and self-reliance to the exclusion of God. It says, God, I don't need you. I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough, and I'm wise enough to go on this alone. That is pride, and that comes in very obvious ways by the braggadocious arrogance of some and the backdoor self-pity, oh, woe is me, look at me, cry for me, tell me how pretty I am, tell me how smart I am. There's different ways of pride that affect us. Pride is idolatry of self. Now, the New City Catechism that we're teaching the children, we haven't got to this, or we have got to this one. The question is, what is idolatry? And I don't, have, I don't know why I didn't put it behind me, but this is what idolatry is. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator for our hope and our happiness, our significance and our security. And what pride says is, I'm my own idol. I am the one who I trust for my hope and my happiness, my significance and my security. Pride is the attitude of the heart that focuses exclusively on oneself. I am consumed with my desires, my needs, my pursuits, my comforts, my feeling, my understandings, and my achievements. Pride can be easy to see in other people, but like carbon monoxide gas, it can be undetectable in our own heart. It causes, though, a bloating and a puffed up that you become so preoccupied with your yourself that it distorts reality because all you can see is yourself and you can't see the most obvious things that are just beyond your reach. Pride drives self-reliance by saying, I don't need God because I have fill in the blank. I'm intelligent, I'm wealthy, I'm educated, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm beautiful, I have status, I have tenacity, I have problem-solving skills. And remember, pride is taking everything and focusing on oneself and self-focus, taking the good gifts that God gives us and making them all about ourselves, taking all the good gifts of intelligence and wealth and education and strength and power and beauty and status and tenacity and problem-solving skill and taking the credit for all of them. Pride is, the, is idolatry and pride is the root of sin. So this morning, I want you to, my big idea is this, because when in Habakkuk in 2.4 says the righteous shall live by faith, he launches out in this woes, the five woes of Habakkuk, and it says that shows you the, the, the danger of pride in response to this. The heart that lives by faith denounces the way of pride. The heart that lives by faith denounces the way of pride. And to do that, we, there are five ways that we do that. Now, I have the same amount of notes. I got six pages. That gives me 42 minutes. So don't worry. I'm not going an hour and a half, I don't think. Uh, how do we denounce the way of pride? By denouncing greed and covetousness. By domination of the, of the earth and others. By debauchery and idolatry. Those are the five things that ways that we um, put aside pride and heed the wisdom of God. 
And this little section here in chapter 2 is just like the books of Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. These 15 verses are the wisdom of God telling us, woe, be careful, beware of pride. The very thing that is personified in the Babylonians. Because he said, though the Babylonians will come in and bring you into captive, they will meet their maker for the pride of their own heart. They are not getting off scot-free. And if we spurn the warning of God's wisdom and embrace the folly of pride, we will find ourselves in direct opposition to the word of God. But if we heed the wisdom of God in faith, we will be driven into the arms of a merciful and gracious God. So, Therefore God gives Habakkuk five woes. And you can see in verse 6, shall not all these take up their taunt against him, their captives, with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe. Now when we hear the word taunt, we think of an obnoxious 12-year-old that's goading you into doing something stupid. Maybe your brother's younger or older. Maybe that little kid in the neighborhood that you wanted to give a wedgie to all the time. But that kid that taunted you to do something stupid and then promised to tell your parents about it. Yet reveling and gloating in the downfall of the wicked is never the tone of judgment in Scripture. We often, in our self-righteousness, put that on the text. But the heart of God is never a taunting of the, of the wicked. God does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. We see that in Ezekiel 18. But his heart is grieved by their unwillingness to listen and his wisdom and repentance. David Pryor, one of the, the guys I read, the quote was too good to summarize it. I wanted to quote it. He says, The heart of God is broken both by the suffering of the violated and the sinfulness of the violator. The woes are torn from the broken heart in holy indignation, righteous anger, anger about the right things in the right way. It is our job not to take the moral high ground. I don't do any of this. I don't, I am so good, look at me. As Tom read for us this morning, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious leader who were creating self-righteous ways to try to get into heaven when they were missing the whole heart of the law, which is repentance and trusting in the promises of God. It is our job not to take the moral high ground, but to express the holy heart of God. And as you read this, these woes, these songs would have been reminders that these people in captivity would have reminded themselves that in the end the Babylonians will fall and anyone who follows in the pride of the Babylonians will fall with them. So we see the first one is greed in verses 6 through 8. Habakkuk writes, or God speaks through Habakkuk, woe to him who heaps up what is not his long. For how long? Repeating the words and echoing the words of Habakkuk and loads himself with pledges. See, the first woe is addressed the insatiable greed that fuels the endless destruction of everyone and any, everything that came across their path. They wanted something. They were fixed at it like Captain Ahab was fixed on the whale uh, and went and did whatever it possibly could to get it. See in verse, uh, end of verse 8, the blood of man in violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. For those of you who are familiar with Civil War history, like uh, General Sherman's march 
to the sea through the south of a thousand miles through this weaving through the south this during the civil war the babylonians exploited and stripped every living thing that crossed their path they piled up mountains of stolen treasure and left a barren wasteland of people and cities and the earth itself in their wake in a wasteland that was left by greed Ultimately, the people would lament in verse 7, see what they said. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? All these people that you have wiped out and left in your dust and stolen them, will they not suddenly arise and awake and make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. The words of the prophet would serve as a haunting reminder that to those who are fueled by greed. A day is coming when the power that you use to create your wealth would be the very power that undo, undoes that wealth, undoes that wealth. A day is coming when the Babylonians would tremble as the nations plundered their riches and their treasures and collect what was owed to them. The plunderers will be plundered. Ocean Park, as we look at these, these, this woe, this first woe, should ring out against the pride that is greed. The prideful heart says this, I can't trust God to give me what I need, so I will do whatever it takes to accumulate and preserve what I think I need. I need money to protect me, so I will victimize and I will exploit anyone and everyone and anything to get it. I need things that make me happy. So I will deceive and defraud people to accumulate my treasure. I need to protect what is mine. This is what gives me value and worth. I need to protect it. And anyone who comes near me to threaten me, I will cut them off. What is it that you must have? for significance, for security, for value. You may have the sin of pride and greed. We see pride everywhere from corporate America to Hollywood to Main Street. We're bombarded constantly with advertisements and tweets and pictures that tell us we're not successful unless we're climbing to the top of the heap. But the problem is the world doesn't tell you and the blindness of greed doesn't allow you to see that the heap that we are climbing is simply a trash heap. Sadly, that blindness has blinded us to what we really need and that's the Lord God who provides what we need when we need it in the amount that we need. You cannot live by faith and be fueled by greed. Either you recognize your need of God as your greatest need and you trust him in his wisdom and goodness to give you what you need or you will go to any length at any means and over anyone to accumulate and preserve what you think you need only to find what goes around comes around. Ocean Park, living by faith, produces a life that is honest in his dealings at work and at play because it trusts God's provision. 
even when it doesn't understand. You won't cheat. You won't lie to that person to get the sale. You won't steal from your employer or from the the insurance companies or from the medical people. You won't do that because you recognize God will provide your needs. And if God will provide your needs, you can trust Him to work and to play and to rest the way He has told us. A faithful heart refuses to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead, for it knows that the heart that lives by faith denounces the way of pride. Not do We all need uh, to put off the way of greed, but we also need to put off the way of covetousness. In verses 9 and 10, oftentimes, sometimes pride is not as blatant as, as, as greed. Sometimes it's um, shadowed and hidden behind reasonable and sensible motives that disguise the fect- festering pride of covetousness. Notice verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, Now, this pride is saying, I'm doing evil, but look at the motive behind that. To set his nest on high and be safe from the reach of harm. See, the Babylonian Empire desired uh, security and permanence among the people. He coveted, the king coveted a kingdom that would be strong and safe, like an eagle's eyrie that's high in uh, crags of a mountain or high on the top of a tree where no predator can go and no other birds can fly. I want to be high like that, so I will do whatever it takes to make sure my family is safe and I will run anybody over to be able to do that. And you notice in the beginning of verse 9, the safety and security for the king of Babylon was polluted by evil gain and by cutting off many people. The covetous pride of Babylon would lead them into incredible downfall. Verse 10, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. In the, word, in the Hebrew, that's um, to sin, to literally to miss the mark. You have wasted your life because you have not lived it the way that God has designed. To live your life by faith, trusting in the ways of God. You think that you can build your nest high above the nations where nobody can touch you, but the Lord says the very resources of stone and wood that you have exploited and stolen from the people will be plundered and they'll be exploited and they will come crashing down from this nest you have made and be a testament to the the covetousness that you have lived. And it is a testament to a life that is wasted because your priorities and your desires were not trusting in God by faith. See, Ocean Park, the sin of covetousness is not found in necessarily the thing that is coveted, but it is the motive behind the thing that is coveted. A faithful heart says, I have everything I need. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. You can hear Psalm 23. But a covetous heart says, I am not whole unless I have, fill in the blank, security, joy, pleasure, family, love, attention, 
all the various things that we seek, all that are often good things, but when we take good things and make them ultimate things, they become worthless things. You see, this second woe warns us of the dangers of a wasted life that refuses to trust the goodness and sovereignty of our God. They have confidence that the striving and laboring for God, uh, the faithful have confidence that a life that is lived, that hitting the mark of faith and trust will not prove in vain nor will it leave them empty or forsaken. The very pro- the promise of um, Isaiah is they, Isaiah, I, don't, I didn't write, well, let me see, did I write it down? I did not write it down. It's in Isaiah, I think it's 63. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, those who trust the Lord, for they shall be offspring of the blessing of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear them. We can trust. And then it continues there. 65. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. When we trust our God who is faithful and seek first his kingdom, he will take care of the rest. Jesus says, I will take care of those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. A faithful heart refuses to covet the things of this world in its quest for safety and security, for it trusts God, and the heart that lives by faith denounces the way of pride. Not only do we put aside greed and put aside covetousness, but the domination of pride. Verses 12 to 14. Habakkuk was caught between two bloodthirsty kingdoms who are about to face the Lord's reckoning for ruthlessly advancing the agenda and the priorities of their kingdom rather than the kingdom of the Lord. At first, you see this woe in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. This is directed towards the king of Babylon who now is through the... uh, then, through the Middle East, wiping out the countries and slaughtering people in his path. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. The king of Babylon Babylon was enslaving the people to build his kingdom in his name that would stand forever. And Habakkuk was saying, this is wrong. But notice the words of Micah. It wasn't just the the king of Babylon that was living and building his own kingdom. It was the very king of Judah. Hear this, ye heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who, notice, build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the, mountains of the mountain of the house of the Lord a wooded height. 
We live in a world where kingdoms come and kingdoms go, and all around us people are building their little tiny kingdoms and people are building their massive kingdoms, empires of of money and wealth and power and influence and building their families and their prestige all around us and the people of God, rather than trying to dominate and build their own kingdom, are working towards the kingdom of God. Through the history of the world, we see not only building our kingdoms, but we build them at any cost, at the blood of people that have been spilled. From the killing fields of Cambodia, to the work camps in Siberia, to the German death camps, the blood has been spilled for land and power. In land and oil, power and influence, rulers of this world murder innocent people. They exploit the weak, they, the poor and the powerless to gain power and retain power for their kingdom at the exclusion of the kingdom of heaven. Even our own nation is riddled with sin in the fact that as uh, Americans, we have sought to um, uh, uh, the blood of Native Americans and African slaves to fulfill our perceived manifest destiny and fuel the American economy. We have spilled the blood of men and women and children for the almighty dollar and for our own pride and the domination of the sinful heart that says, I want it now and I want it all. The warning of this third woe is that God will not sit idly by as the kingdoms of this world callously disregard his purpose for creation because we've already given a glimpse of what God is doing. Notice Habakkuk chapter five, 1, verse 5. I am doing a work in your days that if, you would not, if um, I would have told you, you would not believe. See, God has a bigger plan for the earth and empire building and the struggle for power. God has a greater purpose than the accumulation of land and wealth. God has a greater design than an individual's health, wealth, and prosperity. And when we have been given just a tiny glimpse of what is to come of the glory of God, it blows our mind. In verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. In Sri Lanka, our brothers and sisters in Christ, didn't, many of them did not meet this morning because they were afraid of the, of the, uh, the terrorists that were coming and bombing their churches. The glory of God will dominate Sri Lanka and all the rival kingdoms will be wiped away as the floodwaters wipe the people of Noah away. And places where we say are closed to the gospel because of the tight grip of false religions, they will be wiped away and the glory of God will shine. Where false religion and then secularization has come and infested the hearts of people, that will be wiped away and the glory of Christ will unfold like the waters cover the sea. See, the warning of the third woe is that God has no regard for rival kingdoms. Large ones that are fueled by monopolies and power and oil and land and, per, and, and, and families that are wealthy and little ones that work minimum wage jobs and trying to build their own kingdom now. 
God will not allow rival kingdoms to stand. There is only one kingdom that will cover the earth as waters cover the sea, and that is the kingdom where Jesus Christ is king. It is a kingdom that stretches from north to south, east to west. It's where the glory of God covers the earth with good news of great joy for all people. Instead of being a kingdom that's polluted with blood and stained by sin, it is a kingdom that is saturated with the glory of God and righteousness. As we consider the unrivaled kingdom, we also consider the wisdom of Psalm 127 as we think, what kingdom am I working for? What kingdom am I building? Whose house am I building? Reminding of Psalms 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. A faithful heart, Ocean Park, is one who is living for the kingdom of God. Whose kingdom are you living for? If it is for your own kingdom, it will be swallowed up by the Lord of hosts who declares war on every rival kingdom. It will not stand. But if you say, I am living for the kingdom of God, you must surrender your autonomy, your right to rule, and serve the Lord with submission and obedience in word and deed, in worship and in praise. A faithful heart refuses to advance their own kingdom, but seeks the kingdom of God, knowing that a heart that lives by faith denounces the way of pride. It continues, the, the fourth way is not only just greed and covetous and dominion that need to be put away, but also debauchery. In chapter, verses 15 through 17, the Babylonians were a people, um, they were a ruthless people and they were a corrupt people. They would pour out the wrath upon their victims and make them drink the, 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 their wrath until the people were weak and powerless and wiped out. It was then they would shame and humiliate them, their helpless captives. Notice verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. Who, you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. The image is a startling image. The Babylonians would drug their captives with drink in order to take advantage of their drunkenness in vile and perverted ways. I think it's, as I read Habakkuk, in light of this probably the last year, year and a half of the, the Me Too movement that has really brought to light the vileness of the heart of man and many men, is where they have helpless women have they've been drugged and, and taken advantage of and then humiliated and, um, and, and, and scarred and tainted for the rest of their lives. That is the image here that the Babylonians, that pride has done to people. The Babylonians would overwhelm their captives by the sword and strip them of their natural resources and leave them as a people humiliated and naked and they, as they left the forest naked of trees and the city naked of people and the land naked of animals. All they while they laughed as drunken frat boys watching the humiliation of their victims' nakedness. Do you see the power of that image and the heinous ugliness of sin? 
The pride that spits in the face of God and taking a creation that is very good and image bearers made in the image of God and saying, I will be God and I will do what I want. And God, in his righteous indignation through the words of his prophet in 16 and 17, says this, you will have your fill of shame instead of the glory you so seek in your perverted ways. Drink yourselves and show your uncircumcision, your nakedness. And the cup of the Lord's right hand will come around uh, around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. You see, God will not sit idly back while his people and his creation is perverted and abused and twisted for the world's kingdom and selfish pride. He promises that he will force the Babylonians and all who are consumed by their own pride to drink the cup of their wrath and feel the shame of their own nakedness like they have done that infinitely time more than they would, were able to do. God's creation will not be used and abused for the twisted pleasures of rival kingdoms. He will avenge the degradation and humiliation of his creation. Ocean Park, the fourth woe is not just for the powerful or the influential. It's for every one of us. God's intense love for his entire creation causes great anger. He's anger when his creation and his image bearers are abused. Those who live by faith care for the non-human creation, for our environment, for our plants, for our animals, as a part of the home and community that is created and loved by our Creator. Those who live by faith protect the vulnerable and the weak, the exploited, all of them, humans, animals, and plants. Those who, love, who live by faith advance the kingdom of God by service and humility, not by the sword and by pride. Compassion, not corruption. Humility, not arrogance. This woe reminds us that the ruthless exploitation of our planets and nature, either mankind or plant or animal, will incur the wrath of God especially the image bearers of God. This is our Father's world that is designed to give Him praise. This is my Father's world. To twist it and pervert it and degrade it for our own selfish designs and our twisted desires will kindle the wrath of the Almighty God and that should make us tremble. A faithful heart refuses to twist creation for our own selfish gain, but preserve creation for God, knowing that the heart that lives by faith denounces the ways of pride. We are told to denounce the way of pride in our greed and our covetousness, dominating others and things around us by debauchery and ultimately by idolatry. In verses 18 through 20. The fi this final woe is against trusting in lifeless, breathless, silent idols. Idols that cannot speak and cannot hear and cannot answer, but they are loved and revered by those who themselves formed and fashioned them with their own hands. It reminds us that anything in creation can be made into a substitute for God. And that is foolish. 
but it is done widely and pervasively in every one of our hearts and our societies and our cultures. See, the ancient people, we often turn our nose up on them because they worship wood and stone and metal, and we say, that's just silly. I would never do that. But see, our modern idols are Wi-Fi and square footage and waistline and compound interest and party affiliations. And, and Habakkuk says, what prop... Oh, We're going to sing that song. Okay. (laughs) Habakkuk in verses 18 and 19. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake to a silent stone. Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it at all. People worship these gods and our idols and the things of the earth to increase their prosperity instead of trusting the Almighty God who alone is the source of all that is good and beautiful and true. You see, the things that we create, whether it have, be made out of wood or have a microprocessor, those things will, are fleeting and they will fade, they will depreciate and they will decay. Those things constantly have to be upgraded and outdated. Those things will amuse us and entertain us and soothe us for only a passing moment and they get old and trite and tired. We turn to those things for affection and affirmation, for our value and for our worth, for our purpose and our meaning, yet they are silent and speechless and mute. They are nothing more than an echo chamber that parrots back the meaningless words that we utter in despair. Ocean Park, this final woe is a reminder that the idolatry of pride leaves us down a dead end. It is a cul-de-sac that is devoid of meaning and purpose. The idols of our hearts can only give us what we already have given them. True meaning and true satisfaction can only be found in God alone. You can just leave it on a blank screen for now. Verse 20, but the Lord, in contrast to the silent, lifeless, unhearing uh, 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 idols, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Unlike the deaf and dumb idols of this world, Yahweh is present in the temple He has created. He is teaching. He is speaking. He is alive. He possesses wisdom in His Word and life in His breath. Therefore, we stand in reverent silence before the Lord, before His throne, in which the angels themselves cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. We don't offer our petty advice or insist that he perform our, uh, our, our desires at our demand. We don't chit-chat and shoot the breeze. We don't offer small talk and meaningless chatter. We stand in reverent silence before the maker of heaven and earth who alone is, silent, uh, is sovereign. The God who himself holds the hearts of kings in his his hands and turns them as he please. The God whose glory fills the earth. The God who humbles the proud and cuts down the haughty. We watch and we wait, trusting that he knows what he's doing. Ocean Park, if we are to live by faith, we must live in reverence. 
We must banish the pride of idolatry, demanding a God who will acquiesce to everything in our every whim. For the God who sits enthroned in heaven is not a cosmic genie or a supernatural butler that exists to serve us. Living by faith in the one true God means worshiping and honoring Him in both the good experiences and the bad experiences. See, if God is in heaven and He knows what He's doing and He's promised to work out a plan that we would not understand and His glory is filling the heavens and earth, everything that He is orchestrating is going towards that end. The question is, will we believe it? Will we believe it in the good times when we say, oh yeah, glory, God is good. When we got a raise, when we got a new car, when we have a nice little house with a picket fence and flowers. But will we trust God when we lose that house with a picket fence and flowers and we lose our car and we lose the ones that we love? When the sovereign hand of God tastes bitter and God is doing something in our midst, will we trust that God or will we shake our fists at in in pride and say, you're not doing what I want you to do and I don't approve of it. A heart that is poisoned by the pride of idolatry demands what it wants, when it wants it, and the amount that it wants. And the faithful heart stands in reverence before the living God who reigns over all creations and says, I trust you even when it hurts. And even when I don't understand through these tears. For the heart that lives by faith denounces the way of pride. So Ocean Park, as we come, and I would encourage you this week to read Habakkuk chapter 3. Read it, and it says, The righteous shall live by faith when we don't understand and when we cannot see, when the plan of God tastes bitter and the path is difficult, that we live by faith by denouncing the pride of greed and walking in the ways that our King has set before us, denouncing the pride of covetousness and trusting the provision of our God, denouncing the, the pride of domination and surrender our autonomy and service to the King of creation, to denounce the pride of debauchery and honor and protect the, our, our king's creation and to um, denounce the pride of idolatry and stand in reverence before our God, knowing this, that the heart that lives by faith denounces the way of pride.